Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of Surveillance Report, where we are going to sit down and have an interview with Key from Session. And many of you have probably heard of Session. It's an extremely popular messaging, uh, encrypted messenger in the privacy community. I, I'm actually not going to say any more than that, because that is what you are here to talk about, Key. So first of all, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Nate. It's uh, really nice to be here. I think I, I might just rail off what you said there. Um, it's like the, the idea of Session, the goal of Session is really to serve the privacy community. Um, it's a messenger like which takes the kind of privacy um, part of other messengers to the extreme. We don't use phone numbers. Uh, we don't. We try and hide as much of your IP address as possible by using onion routing. And we also are a completely decentralized network, so we don't have any central servers that store messages, um, you know, indefinitely. So, yeah, those are really like the tenets that we're looking to kind of um, beat upon or, or, or solve the, the problems we're looking to solve. Cool. Yeah, I know the uh, the lack of numbers is a, a really popular draw for a lot of people. So let's uh, let's start from the beginning. Tell us a little bit about the history of Session. Like, what inspired you guys to create Session, and uh, kind of how did you get to where we are today? So it originally started because we were building this decentralized network of nodes kind of based off the idea of uh, other cryptocurrencies where you have an incentivized set of nodes that are able to kind of perform, uh, you know, like a, a updating a state of a blockchain or something. But we decided from that point that these nodes could actually do more than just update the state of a blockchain. They could also route messages for users. Um, so that's where we can, kind of came into the idea of using Tor kind of as a, a network to incentivize these different nodes all across the world to route messages around the world through different hops. And from that was kind of born the idea of Session, which is, okay, we have all of these nodes that can store little bits of data, and we also have nodes that are able to route data as well. So what if we were to build a messaging application? And at the time, we were all using Signal as well. Um, what if we could build a messaging application that kind of used this decentralized network of incentivized nodes to route and store um, data on a decentralized network? And I think that was in 2018. So it's taken us a while to get here, but I think we've we've achieved quite a lot on the way. So that's kind of where the idea came from originally. So let's actually backtrack just a touch. I I like to focus on um, beginner friendliness and like people who are new to this kind of stuff. That's just my personal slant. So pretend that I somehow stumbled onto this podcast or this video. I don't know anything about encrypted messaging. <laughs> in in non-technical terms, how would you describe encrypted messaging and why would you say that that's important? Well, I think it's it's probably the closest thing you can have to a real-life conversation online when you use an encrypted messenger. And especially something like Session tries to emulate as much as possible what you would have as a real conversation in real life. So we try to remove as much record as possible that you ever had a conversation with another person. That includes personally identifiable information. For example, like if you just went down to the park and talked to someone in the park, there's not necessarily gonna be a record that you went to the park and you talked to Bob in the park and here's a log of all of the messages and the time at which it occurred. Um, more and more like mainstream messages like WhatsApp and Telegram are really moving towards this kind of model where everything is surveilled. We know the parties that are talking to each other. We know the time they talked and 
particularly we need to know the contents of the things that they talked about. So session and uh, encrypted messengers are really trying to move towards the more real life model where you meet in the park and you have a conversation and that's it, that there's no record of what happened in that conversation. And, and why that's important, I think the way that we form ideas in society, we don't have this expectation that everything that we talk about or every idea that we come up with is going to affect us later on in life. If there was a record of every single thing that you've said over the course of your entire life, some of the ideas that were just information in your head, ideas that you might not necessarily agree with, could be leaked on the internet and used as a, a kind of tool to assassinate your personal character. So I think for me, like it really makes sense to have an, have a space where we can talk safely about ideas that we're forming in our head or um, you know things that we want to talk about that might be sensitive without necessarily having all of that leaked to the public. Um, I think that's one of the most important points for, for encrypted messengers or, or privacy online altogether. I know that does definitely resonate with me. I, uh, I do frequently, especially at work, I'll start coming up with an idea like, hey, what if we do... Never mind, that's a bad idea, and I see now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really, really cool. So you, you touched on this a little bit in the introduction and also in, in the question you just answered as well. What would you say sets Session apart from the competition? Why should I use Session as opposed to like Signal or Matrix or XMPP? You know, there's tons of options out there. Well, actually, uh, I think I think the biggest thing for most people, and this is the feedback that we've gotten as well, is uh, the, the use of no, no phone numbers or no uh, identifiers that are linked to your real world. That is really the biggest uh, kind of selling point that resonates the closest with most people. Um, because most people are familiar with the experience that if you sign up for Telegram or WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger, usually they're going to ask for either an email address or your phone number. And these like identifiers are very strongly linked with your real world identity. Like you don't just use them on WhatsApp or um, Facebook Messenger. You might use them in like a hundred different other places. And if those databases of those hundred other different places get hacked and that gets linked against your name or your personal address or your business address, then you instantly lose your anonymity in the other services that you're using the same phone number with. So people really resonate with that. They understand that. I think the second point is the onion routing aspect, which is maybe a bit more technical, but you know, every time you go and browse things on the internet, essentially you're leaving a signature behind, which is your IP address. Uh, and that's a unique identifier to your, well, not necessarily you in all cases, but in most cases, each residential house has a single IP address and your ISP knows exactly who the person is associated with that IP address. And you can also kind of work out course location based on IP address as well. So onion routing removes um, the need for your IP address to be exposed um, when you talk to people or when you talk to the servers of that uh, particular messenger. So I would say like those are the two kind of biggest selling points. Yeah, I, I agree with you. That's a, a big one I hear a lot too is the, the lack of phone number is one thing that really people really uh, appreciate from what I've seen. Um, yeah. Let's focus on Signal for a moment. Uh, you guys were previously based on the Signal protocol, your, your encryption was. And so, of course, you think that Signal has merit, but you also felt that there was room to improve. And you recently 
also moved into your own unique protocol, the uh, the session protocol, I believe, if I remember that correctly. So what concerns did you have with Signal that you were like, we, you know, we can improve on this and how does session fix those concerns? And um, not not to pile too much onto that, but also like what makes the new session protocol different from the previous signal protocol? There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there, so I'll try, and, we, I'll we try can, and get through it. We can go step by step. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, just remind me if I forget to answer one of the questions. Um, sure. I might start with uh, like why we kind of like the signal protocol. Obviously, when we started, the, the signal protocol and the signal app were like way beyond anything that had ever kind of been developed before. You know, in that time of 2018, there wasn't really any applications that were using end-to-end -end encryption. They were encrypting to the server, which is a much weaker model um, because then the server can decrypt your message and, and read uh, what you're chatting about. Signal really kind of were one of the first applications and has had a consistent kind of ethos behind end-to-end -end encrypting all information that flows between the, the users. Um, so that's kind of why we really respected and still do respect um, Signal as an application because they've really brought the entire um, space forward with what they've been what they've been doing and how long they've been working on these problems for. Now, why we made changes to Signal? Uh, obviously, there's things that we didn't like in Signal necessarily. We've discussed some of them. The phone number requirements are probably the biggest one in Signal. And this is something that they've been working on um, for many years at this point, uh, you know, talking about usernames, but something that they haven't um, fully kind of implemented yet. They've just had plans so far. So we really wanted to be able to provide a messenger with a similar level of encryption to Signal but without phone numbers, because that was something that was really being requested a lot in the community. Signal tends to focus more on security than they do on anonymity. Um, and I would say that our focus has probably been more on the anonymity side and less on the security side, even though the app um, is you know, just a secure signal. Now, in terms of the signal protocol, that was a recent change. So the changes that we made there are mostly to do with how state is controlled in the application. The way that Signal does encryption is very difficult to deal with uh, when you have a decentralized set of servers. So Signal just has a central server where messages are stored and relayed to your chat partners. Session is a much more complicated system. The network is uh, 1700 nodes, which are split into uh, different swarms. So the swarms are kind of like shards of the node network. So there's like five to seven nodes in each shard, in each shard which makes up like 150 sets of nodes essentially, which store your messages. Uh, so to get the level, like to maintain that state, uh, the state of the encryption protocol is much more tricky in that sense because you have nodes going offline, nodes coming online, you might not necessarily be getting uh, the same messages from different uh, nodes that you ask on the network. So it was really kind of out of that that was born the session protocol. And to kind of maybe dig a little, a little bit deeper, there's like two pro there's two kind of key things in the signal protocol, um, which are called perfect forward secrecy and um, deniability. 
So we kind of looked into these um, properties a bit more and found that in most cases, uh, deniability is not really used as much as you would think it would be in the real world. People have taken uh, OTR messengers to court and the deniability aspects of these messengers haven't been held up. Uh, I think it's wow. still outside of the, I mean, the messages are still cryptographically deniable, but people just show screenshots in their phone and the court just accepts that as evidence. So if these kind of properties aren't really being applied in the real world and there's attacks that we can better prevent against by modifying uh, the protocol to, to use the session protocol, then we, would, we chose to do that. Essentially, it's a trade-off. We understand that cryptographically, some of these things like PFS and deniability aren't going to be as strong in session. But then the trade-off is that we get to use a decentralized network and we get to have more ephemerality in um, the way that users rotate their identities. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's kind of a broad overview. I mean, I could talk probably about for half an hour on it, but <laughs> without going really into the cryptographic details of the protocol, um, it's a little bit trickier to understand. If you, if you Google uh, the session protocol um, technical implementation, you can find the full details of why we did it and the explanations of PFS and deniability and how those properties kind of affect session and, and what is offered. But yeah, it really came down to the networks being different um, between session and signal and us making some trade-offs to, to make the decentralized network work better so that more people can get privacy. I did not uh, even think about that, what you said about how they'll just take screenshots into court. And yeah. you know, I've never even stopped to think like, yeah, if it's on your phone, then it's pretty hard to deny it. And that's uh, yeah it's you know courts courts often don't deal in the realm of obscure cryptographic protocols they their their requirements for evidence are much lower than cryptographic proof that you did something yeah and the uh the blessing and curse of uh at least uh i'm, I'm sure you guys have something similar here in america courts are uh, a jury of your peers and, yeah. uh, you know, the blessing and curse of a jury of your peers is that means that you have to take these complex ideas and distill them down into something that your peers can understand. So correct. Yeah. So my next question, I, I want to be realistic for a moment. We all know that nothing is unhackable and that if, if you try to make one solution that does everything, you're just going to make a solution that does everything very poorly. So session was clearly built to solve a specific problem, fill a specific need what would you say is that target need and that target audience? I think that sums it up well. Yeah, I think the people we're building for, um, and, and and it's hard, it's always hard to assess kind of what your audience is versus the people that you try and build for because often these like audiences deviate. But the people we're building for are kind of people on the edges of kind of the existing private messengers. So people who use Signal, but they don't want to use their phone number when they interact with uh, Signal. They like the privacy and encryption options that Signal offer because obviously they're, they're world-class, but they're uncomfortable with giving up things that are linked to their personal identity, like their IP address, like their email address. 
this kind of often will intersect with people who are human rights activists, people who are journalists in zones that are, are more politically um, kind of, you know, edgy. So these these are kind of the people that we're, we're building for. Now, when you build for journalists, you build for human rights activists and you build for dissidents, often you'll find that the people that you encourage to use the application aren't necessarily um, those types of people. They're people in Western countries who still ha have that need and want for privacy. So I think these kind of things intersect. When you build for that group of people who are on, when you build for those groups of people that are on the edges, often you find that you attract people who, even in their home countries, that they, you know, kind of safe our home countries, they, they still feel like their privacy is being violated. And I think rightfully so um, with the information that comes out about national governments spying on citizens, you know. I definitely relate to what you just said about like your target audience is not always the audience you attract. Um, yeah. That happened, that happened with me and my site, The New Oil, is I, I built it for, uh, you know, the average everyday person, which that's still my target audience, but I ended up attracting a lot of very technically minded very uh privacy interested people so yeah um which of course i mean whoever gets value out of it i'm happy but i just yeah that resonates with me too some some of this we know some one of these you just posted a, a blog about recently where does session currently fall short that you plan to fix in the future so what are in other words what are some upcoming things we can expect i know you guys just posted a blog recently uh that thanks to uh reworking the protocol you've been able to figure out how to put voice and video calling in, which I know is a huge thing that everybody was really looking forward to. Um, in addition to that, what else you guys got going on? I think the the biggest things with, with Session now are uh, kind of reliability and features. It's harder for us to reach a like 100% or 99% reliability because of the decentralized network that we use. Um, so that has been kind of the first first kind of two years of building session have just been building up reliability. It's actually extremely difficult to build a reliable messenger when you have a network of nodes that are constantly going online and offline and messages are constantly being deleted from those nodes. That's the joys of working with a, a decentralized network, you know. Um, oh, that sounds it's, <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, it's been very tough at sometimes, but I really i'm happy that we did it because now that we're here and we have a pretty reliable messenger at this point it, it it's really good in terms of features like because we've been trying to get to reliability for so long we've left a lot of features that modern messengers have on the sidelines you know as you were saying before voice chats are one of the biggest things um, that nearly every um kind of modern messenger has at this point but because we're so kind of anal about how we provide the voice the voice chat functionality we don't want to leak the user's ip address for example to, to a server or to the other person that you're talking to so the often the way that people will do this is that they'll have a peer-to-peer -peer, um, conversation where the ip address of the person i'm talking to is leaked to me and my ip address is leaked to them or there's a server in between and now the server knows both of our ip addresses we can't do that because we don't feel that it would be right um, in terms of the privacy that we're trying to provide in the application. But that means that we have to do unenrouted uh, voice calls, which have never really been done before. So we, we're having to kind of innovate solutions um, on that side. 
I think like other features that people have requested, like you know sticker sticker packs and emoji reactions and stuff, they all are actually really important because they help more people use the application. It's just we haven't really been able to get to these things because we've had that focus on reliability. There's no point having sticker packs or emoji reactions if you never receive the emoji reaction on the sticker pack, right? So, you know, it's it's priorities and, and goals. So I think kind of we're going to go from the most requested features um, and dip down the list. So, yeah, voice calls, I think, are something that we're going to really focus on um, over the next couple of months because that's probably the most requested feature. That's a that's definitely the one I'm waiting on before I make session my like go to day to day, personally. But yeah, I, a lot I, of people have told me that. <laughs> yeah, and I, I will say I was surprised when I first checked out session, and uh, you know I, I always call Signal insultingly easy to set up because it it is that easy. You download it, you open it, and you pretty much just keep hitting next, and it sets itself up. And I was kind of I was really impressed that session is almost the same way. Like. Next thing I know, it's like, all right, here's your username. And I'm like, whoa, I'm done already? Like, holy cow, that was fast. Um, yeah, it's something that we've really tried to work on a lot. Uh, and I think it's something that still isn't quite there as well. There's still room for improvement. But because there, there is this kind of weird paradox, like because we don't require people to have a phone number, that often makes the onboarding much easier because you know people have to enter their phone number and wait for a text to receive like a confirmation message and then enter another code we don't have to do any of that we just generate like a random kind of public key on the fly and that's your identity so it it makes it a little bit easier on the onboarding for us there not to be too biased but i think people will appreciate the fact that you put so much effort into the stability and like i have also seen the stability grow over the past year or so personally and uh if you use session like two years ago it was terrible like <laughs> it, you would you would send a message and you would just be like unsure whether it would ever arrive yeah. we're still working on it like it's still a work in progress um like signal has had now i think six years i think it started so we've only had i think two so we're getting there you know it's it just takes a long time to get to a state where you're super reliable yeah but i've i was i was gonna say i've seen a, a lot of in in other projects i've seen people complain where like oh you're rolling out like you mentioned like stickers but you still can't even reliably send a message and so yeah. I, I think people will appreciate once the features start rolling out it's like oh and it works too so so uh, going back to my earlier question where I said like Session is built to solve a specific problem and serve a specific audience, can you think of any areas that Session, in, in, in all fairness, like Session falls short that you don't plan to address simply because that's not what you guys are trying to do? Like has anyone ever said like, oh, you guys should do this? And it's like, well, that's not really what we're going for, so. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things that we've noticed over the last like kind of maybe six months or so is like messengers really rely on a network effect. So like the more people that are on the messenger, the better the messenger works. And often this is kind of like an exponential curve. Like the, like the more people are on, the better it works, which means there's more people on it. It's like this feedback loop where you just like gain crazy amounts of users really fast. The way that traditional messengers usually do that is by like using your existing contact list to like spam like messages to everyone saying, hey, I'm on WhatsApp now, or hey, I'm on uh, Signal now, or hey, I'm on Telegram now. 
we would love to do that but we cannot do that like that would just be against everything that we kind of stand for we can't use your existing like connected identity to, to kind of talk to your friends about this but that means that inherently the growth for session is probably going to be slower than uh, you know, kind of WhatsApp and Signal because, you know, inherently Session relies on this kind of more word of mouth uh, style kind of advertisement where, oh, like I got this app called Session, you might want to like download and install it, it's really cool. It doesn't spam all of your like kind of contacts. So like, I think that's something that we won't do, but something that we, if we found like a privacy preserving way to do it, we'd love to do something like that. But really, honestly, there's nothing out there that we look at and say that this is a privacy preserving method of using your existing contact list to, to kind of get your friends to know that you're using a um, session now. So I think that's, people often talk about that and, and that's something that we, we just won't do. Um, we can't step into that field. And yeah, there's a lot of features that kind of require a, a stronger sense of identity that we also can't kind of step into. Yeah, so I think uh, those, are, those are kind of the features that we look at and we say, okay, we can't do those. So someone else can serve us, serve, serve those uses better than us. Again, not to be too biased or editorialized too much, but I, I really respect that you guys are willing to draw a line in the sand and say, you know, we're not willing to cross this, even though we know we could probably grow faster if we did that. You know, yeah. I think that's really cool. So earlier you mentioned uh, the Loki network. Would you, you did kind of explain it very briefly. Do you, would you like to add any more to that? Or do you think that you summed it up pretty well? Yeah, I mean, so the apps that we develop are kind of quite separate, but the original project was born out of a cryptocurrency that we founded in 2018 um, called Loki. It's now, now called Oxen. Um, so yeah, the, 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 this project is kind of built off when I say decentralized network, like Hessian uses a decentralized network, the network we're talking about is the, the Loki or the Oxen network. It's that network of 1700 nodes, which is record, rewarded in cryptocurrency to route your messages, um, store your messages for a brief period of time and do all of the onion routing involved in the network. That's how we kind of get to something that's very similar to a, kind of a Tor level um, onion router without having each individual client like run a portion of the network because that would create even more issues with reliability. Like these nodes that serve the network are, even though they're going up and down, it's nowhere near the kind of level of flux that you would have if you had each client acting as a peer in the network because then you'd have even more people going up and down and the reliability would be even harder to preserve. But yeah, I mean, the, the network is, is really kind of a cryptocurrency incentivized um, network, but it's, it's really obfuscated from the session side of things. You could download session and never know that it used cryptocurrency at all. And that's the way it was designed. Like we don't necessarily want um, people to to kind of be turned off because I mean I know a lot of people you know recently they're very turned off with cryptocurrencies. They think they're, they're scams, you know, and that's fine. Not everyone um, like has the time to look into these things, you know, with with great detail. So our idea was always to kind of keep these networks or keep the products as separate as possible so that people can step into a messenger that has a familiar experience and they don't necessarily need to know that, you know, the, the network that's behind this is, is using a cryptocurrency to incentivize it. 
unrelated well related question uh i actually missed that loki had rebranded into oxen uh is there do you mind explaining why that is or yeah no most of it was uh related to sharing the kind of name with the loki marvel character which was a very hard uh thing for us to compete with seo uh wise like when people would look up loki they would just get you know the marvel character and movies and tv series now so we wanted to rebrand into something that was a bit more um kind of recognizable uh, and didn't compete so heavily with um, such a popular and strong brand. Um, and I think we also just wanted to refresh um, ourselves as well because uh, Loki was born in 2000, uh, early 2018. So coming up to, to 2021, um, I think we just wanted to refresh the brand a bit. I, I remember telling my partner, she's huge into Loki, especially the, uh, the Marvel version of Loki, and I just yeah. being like, "Hey, there's a messenger that's built on a Loki network," and she's like, "Ooh!" <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I could see how that could also be a, a competition issue as well. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the Tor network a moment ago, and I, I'm kind of glad you brought that up. Would you be willing to briefly compare Oxen with Tor, and maybe even like the I2P if you're familiar with that, and kind of explain what makes it different and what you think it does better? I know you touched on that a little bit. Yeah, so we're now talking about a different product, which is called uh, LokiNet. So that's also built off the um, kind of Oxen-like service node network, which is, again, this network of 1,700 nodes that kind of is able to route data and store messages and um, do all of this cool stuff. Um, so in terms of the Loki network, that's something that we have been working on since 2018 as well. It takes a lot of what Tor Tor does, which is kind of to be this onion router and adds an extra element on top of that of what we call civil attack resistance. So there's this idea in Tor, well, it's not really an idea, it's kind of a, an attack vector in Tor, um, where because there is no kind of barrier to entry to the network, you only need to be able to run a certain amount of nodes to de-anonymize Tor users. So if you're at both the exit and the entry node for a Tor circuit, which is typically three hops, if you're at both the entry and exit, you can kind of traffic correlate between um, what comes through on the entry and then what goes out of the exit and work out that these two IP addresses or the IP address on your entry is actually requesting all of these things from the exit. And that kind of breaks, um, that kind of breaks Tor. The way that you can do this is that you can run a lot of nodes in the Tor network. And there's about, I think the last time I checked, there's five or 6,000 um, Tor nodes. But the way it works is that most of the paths use kind of the upper 20 or 30% of the Tor network. So if you were to run, say, one or 2,000 nodes on the Tor network, and this is very um, within the reach of governments and even private individuals we've seen um, attacks running exits uh, recently you can actually start correlating um, between the entry and the exit or and, and working out the ip address of tor users essentially so the idea behind loki net is to add an additional barrier to entry to the network 
and that's uh, in the form of a stake of cryptocurrency. So it's not, it's no longer you can just run the node um, with the required computation resources or the required bandwidth. You also need about fifteen thousand um, oxen, which is a which is a cryptocurrency, which is worth about a dollar fifty right now. So that's about a thirty thousand dollar cost for each node that you run in the network. So your attack, where you can you know, easily run a thousand nodes starts to become trickier and trickier. Even for people who are state level actors, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars of investment in a network. And because there's only a limited supply of um, oxen, that attack becomes harder to perform as the price of the token goes up and up. So that was kind of one of the main things that we wanted to address. We wanted to make civil attacks harder by making them more expensive. Another thing that we did, and it's interesting you mentioned ITP as well. Our, one of the developers um, who works on LokiNet right now, the, the lead developer used to work on ITP as well. <laughs> so yeah, uh, like we kind of have a strong connection with the space. And another thing that we wanted to do was Tor really only routes TCP packets. There's a lot of protocols like the protocol that we're using right now to talk to each other, um, which use kind of UDP packets. Um, and we wanted uh, LokiNet to be able to um, route those as well because we wanted to be able to do real-time voice calls and real-time you know, video calls over, over something like LokiNet, and, and we've achieved that as well. It works much more similarly to a VPN for the end user. I mean, it still provides the under-routing aspect like Tor. It's not a single hop like a VPN, but you can shove all of your traffic through um, LokiNet. It's not just you know a particular browser window or an application that just uses TCP packets. So it, it's also a more broad application as well, working at. That was, a, that was a bit of a long-winded explanation, but there's a lot to cover there. <laughs> no, yeah, and I, I think you summed it up really well. And um, yeah, for anyone who, who uh, thinks that a, uh, what's that called, a Sybil attack? Um, yeah. For anyone who thinks that might be unlikely, um, it, it not a one-to-one, -one, but you kind of alluded to it recently. They did discover that, what was it, like 23% of exit nodes were being used to, uh, like, strip SSL. And uh, it had something to do with cryptocurrency. It kind of went above my head. but It did, yeah. Um, I, I can. I think I understand the attack, so I can explain it if you want. Uh, if you'd like to, sure. So, essentially, what they were doing was when Tor users visited on the clear net, like the normal internet, certain sites which generated cryptocurrency wallets if that user had not specified or i think it was both if they had specified https or if they had specified http the the exit node would redirect them to the http website or a http website which looked exactly like that website so for example if you were like trying to sell cryptocurrency on binance or like one of these like really popular exchanges they would see that you're going to, the exit node would see you're going to Binance.com, HTTPS Binance.com, and they would create their own kind of version of Binance, which was at HTTP Binance.com, and direct you to that, like give that back to you. And if you didn't notice that you weren't on the HTTPS version and you were on the HTTP version, you would like enter your account details and then they would just like grab them from you and then like uh, sell all of your cryptocurrency and send it to their like addresses essentially. Oh. So yeah, it was. Like Tor is safe when you're using um, HTTPS, 
because yeah. um, the exit node can only see encrypted traffic, which is going to Binance, which is not useful for them. But if they're able to like um, kind of shove you over to a HTTP site, they can read all of the traffic that you're sending to them. So yeah, it was like this kind of tricky uh, redirect scenario, I think. Yeah, so uh, so lesson one, if you use Tor, you make sure you're on HTTPS. Yeah, and yeah. Lesson two, yeah, it is actually very conceivable that somebody could compromise a large portion of the Tor network, which, yeah. for the record, I am, I'm totally pro-Tor, but it does have its downsides, and you should definitely uh, be careful of that. So my next question is uh, kind of similar to earlier we asked, where does session fall short? Where does the Loki network currently fall short and what do you hope to do in the future to uh like what do you hope to bring in in the future with the loki network i think uh the main thing with loki net is that we don't have the same user base uh as tor we don't have millions of users um using loki net every day there's really quite a few users on loki net right now uh, which means that you don't have the diversity of people that you're kind of hiding with because Tor is this network that's used by about 2 million people per day. So even if people were to, like, even if you connect to Tor, it's not necessarily saying anything about yourself because there's like 2 million other people who are connecting to that network every day. But if the only people that are using, if there's only like, you know, a couple of thousand people that are using LokiNet, it means that you don't mix in with the crowd so much. It means that, you know, if a particular application gets really popular on LokiNet, then you can say with some certainty that, oh, that person who's connected to LokiNet is probably using that application because it's only users of that application that, that are the ones that use LokiNet. So I think it's really right now about building out the people that use LokiNet, getting kind of partners on board so that we can like create some common use cases for LokiNet so that we can get like kind of more normal people um, using the system. And I think the other thing that we've kind of struggled with is getting uh, LokiNet working perfectly on all operating systems because it's not, because it kind of is more similar to a VPN, it makes it harder to integrate with kind of OSs because you need to integrate it at a lower level. Um, and that's been something that we've kind of had issues with on Mac and also with mobile devices as well, because the way that they give you access to kind of more low level stuff is is not necessarily obvi obvious for people who build for Linux all day. So yeah, it, it's, it's a little tricky on that front. So those are kind of two things that we're working on is like, yeah, getting LokiNet clients that work to more devices and then encouraging people to use LokiNet for more kind of normal day-to-day -day, um, uses as well. On that note, do you guys have like a like a LokiNet browser or something that anyone who's watching this who's like, well, I want to use LokiNet, like, do you have stuff that they can do? Yeah, we don't we don't have a browser at this point in time as well, which is probably something else that's kind of hampering adoption a bit because although you can, it's similar to a VPN, right? Like, uh, although you can get privacy of your IP address, if your browser still has like a noticeable fingerprint, then um, sites can use that to track you across when you're when you're browsing on the internet. We're kind of on the fence about whether we should build our own browser or fork an existing browser. Browsers are very complicated pieces of software at this point. Like they do so much. It's really kind of a, like a big, it would be a massive effort to build our own 
um, browser. So probably looking at forking something else. If you want to use LokiNet, if you hit up lokinet.org, you can download a client. The client is very similar to a VPN. So it has a big button, you turn it on, and that sends, that allows you to access .loki websites, which are similar to .onion websites on Tor. But if you want to use an exit node, there's also an exit node option. So if you put in exit.loki, which is um, kind of one of the few ones that's running right now, you can use that to access the entire internet as well. So that'll shove all of your traffic over LokiNet, as opposed to just the .loki sites. I think uh, I, I didn't know that myself, and I am definitely going to play around with that after this. But I, I think uh, based on my experience, I think that's something people will really like is the ability to pick their exit node. Because I've seen people ask before with Tor, like, how can I like limit my traffic so I don't get an exit node in like a Five Eyes country or something like that? And so that was something that we were thinking of as well when we designed that system. Um, I think the trade-off with that though is that people can't just click a button and then be connected to an exit network of like 2,000 exits and get a random one out of that. They actually have to put a bit more intentional effort into you know finding an exit that they like and then choosing that one to to kind of connect to um so it's you know there's some there's trade-offs there's good things there's bad things and on that note uh, again similar to the question about session what uh what falls outside of the scope of the loki net project like what do you know that it doesn't do that you don't plan on having it do i think that's a trickier question because loki net kind of is more all-encompassing i mean it it, it can route any kind of IP-based protocol. It doesn't have so much limitations um, as Tor does. I think things that we might not be focusing on so much, I kind of alluded to earlier, because LokiNet is at the kind of network layer instead of a, um, at the transport layer, we care less, we care a little bit less about like providing applications that interact with LokiNet in an, in an anonymous way. LokiNet kind of just says, okay, give us whatever protocol you have, whatever IP-based protocol you have, and we'll anonymously route that. We don't necessarily make any claims about the applications that are above the network layer. So if you had a compromised browser, for example, that might not necessarily be in our purview as much as Tor cares about having a Tor browser, which is like, really securely locked down and doesn't provide any like kind of fingerprinting. That's less our field. We're much more like a VPN provider in that sense where we manage one layer of the stack and don't necessarily kind of seek to go so much into the, the other layers of, of the stack. I've got one last question for you here. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and show my ignorant American side. I was under the impression, thanks to the media, that end-to-end -end encryption has been effectively outlawed in Australia, which is <laughs> where you guys are based out of. But I've also been told that that's not really true. Um, so what is the Australian government's stance on end-to-end -end encryption, and how does Session comply with that while still maintaining the secure service that you do? So this is a tricky one because... The Australian government has been extremely hostile to encryption over the last couple of years. Uh, and the view that people are getting from the outside is often distorted. I mean, it's it's true, like the Australian government's terrible for fucking encryption, but the, the way that we kind of look at it is a lot different from some of the other kind of more centralized companies that operate out of Australia. 
these laws, the assistance and access bill is the, the kind of main one that has passed over the last um, kind of two years in Australia. They really have much more to do with centralized companies that hold all of the data for their users in like a central server. And we don't do that. We don't have access to kind of, we don't have access to a central server which stores all of the messages for a session. There's 1700 nodes that do that. Uh, and we don't have any purview to be able to say to those nodes, like, hey, give us all your, like, give us all the encrypted messages that you hold. They're just going to tell us to, you know, piss off essentially. <laughs> so like when you, and, and when you look at the legislation in particular, you see that there is clauses for what are called systemic weaknesses. So if, if the proposed thing that the Australian government comes up, up to us and says, okay, we want you to insert a backdoor into the session application. That under their own legislation would be determined as a systemic weakness because it affects the entire user base of the application and gives them no encryption, which is like it's the textbook definition of systemic weakness in that legislation. That means that they can't force us to do that, at least from what we've, we've the advice that we've had from our lawyers and the reading of the bill itself. Um, we're pretty confident that they can't force us to do that. And then even if you considered that, okay, maybe this is like a rogue government and they're just going to force this through and like threaten us with jail, our code base is open source. So anything that we include in the application has to go through like the community, essentially. There's people in the community that live in the United States. There's people on our team who live in the United States who review the code that we push. So say the entire Australian development team is compromised and we push like a backdoor into the application. Our team in the US is just going to be like, guys, you're pushing a backdoor into the application. We're not going to allow this software to be released. Our community contributors are going to say that as well. So it's kind of beyond our, our scope to do that because it would be kind of immediately caught by the people in the community. And the other thing is like, I don't think, and this is maybe like a more kind of controversial um, thing. I don't think that the way that a government would operate with an open source company is to force the developers to insert a backdoor. The much easier way that the Australian government could uh, release a compromised version of the application would be to fork our open source code, insert their own backdoor, and then collaborate with a party that we already know has like has collaboration with governments, like the Google Play Store, for example and distribute that that application, that modified application on the iOS app store, uh, and just send it out to all of the users there. And that would need no collaboration from us. They would just walk the code base, insert their own backdoor, go and talk to Google Play and say, hey, we've got this, like, we there's these few users um, that we want to target. Just give them this application. They'll install it and um, like they'll, they'll have the backdoor inserted. And that involves none of us and that could be done by any government as well. It doesn't necessarily matter that there's legislation in place, you know, to, to, to kind of get around that. So yeah, I don't, I don't think the, the Australian legislation is really uh, changes much in our threat model um, for, the, for the reasons described below, like the open source nature of the company really um, changes things on that level. That was my last question for you. Is there anything you want to add that we did not touch on or anything you want to say or? 
I think we covered. I think we covered a lot, actually. So I don't think there's anything else that I need to um, add at the end of us. Obviously, uh, download session and, and have a go with it if you um, feel that what I talked about today was important um, to you. Um, if you just look up uh, getsession.org or look up session on the uh, Google Play Store, or maybe not the Google Play Store, we have we're on Android now as well. Or you can download the APK from um, from us directly at our website. So uh, yeah. Jump on session. Um, my my session information is all over the internet on Twitter and you know all those places. So yeah, hit me up um, if you're looking for someone to talk to as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come and talk to us and answer some questions. And I hope this has been uh, very valuable for our listeners. I know I've I've learned a lot too, and I've definitely been keeping an eye on session the last couple of years myself. So that was awesome. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Great. Thanks.